You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start, a couple of warnings. This series talks about sexual assault, and there's mention of suicide. So please keep that in mind when you decide where and when to listen. And a different kind of warning. Almost everyone in the story lied to us about something. Some people more than others. Okay, here we go. Come on in. Oh, shit, it's locked. Last summer, I found myself with these three guys in a Montana cabin. Hey, how are you? I see you. Big open space, amazing views, enormous chairs, like four times the usual size. This is a bachelor's head. And many stuffed animal heads. A real rustic male clubhouse kind of vibe. Everyone had one-syllable names. Okay, are we ready? That's Ken, the investigative reporter I came with. It was a brother-sister vibe right off the bat. Are you, you're not ready. I'm ready. No, you're not. I know how to use a microphone, and he's a print reporter. But Ken is the one who put us in touch with these guys. I know this is awkward, but can you sit here? There was John, a guy who worked at the CIA during the golden years. The place was dripping with... A spree de corps, and they pulled this curtain back. Out here in Montana, John had mostly deer in his coffee machine for company, but he was still sleeping with a gun on his bedside table. What kind of a gun is that? A Glock. It's a Glock? So, do you mind telling me why you have it? Self-protection. From what was my first thought? But Ken has reported for decades on arms traffickers and military dictatorships and international black markets. He understood instinctively that these guys were attuned to dangers we couldn't see. Hey, you guys need to keep in mind when you're outside, you're probably monitored because they're... And then there was Matt. Well, let me ask a question. The other guy in the cabin with us. What, where is this going right now? That's a good question. Matt was ex-military, ex-spy, and had this elaborate tattoo a lot of Force Recon Marines get, which is basically all the symbols. Wing, diver, knife, paddle somehow turned into a skull and crossbones. The deal is, this is for a podcast, and we're hoping and expecting to be able to use We were here because these ex-spies had information about a very powerful man. He was a Silicon Valley billionaire who wanted everyone to see him as a good guy and who would be pretty pissed off if he knew that reporters were here looking into his secrets. If you had to scale out what's the most important thing to him... It's reputation, it's... Matt looked like a bodyguard, but he talks like a therapist. Always watching and analyzing. I loved it. He's very insecure. And, I mean, going back to when he was a kid. 
The billionaire we were talking about was a venture capitalist. He'd seeded dozens of successful tech companies and also made a fortune when Google went public. In Whitefish, he was a local celebrity. You'd see him at ribbon cuttings or posing in front of the rescue helicopter he paid for. He donated to charities, campaigns. House Speaker John Boehner visited his Montana mansion. But Matt and John were alleging that in the shadows, he was running a sex trafficking operation, taking women, and sometimes very young women, to safe houses into a secret basement in a bar he owned, right here in Montana, like barely a mile from this cabin. This is what this is about. This guy has lived his entire adult life and destroyed countless people. We're just talking about the people that we know about. Like a dancer he met at a Dallas strip club who had very publicly sued him, but lost in court when he sued her back. This isn't an aberration that just happened, you know, a couple years ago. This is a pattern of behavior. It was all in a lawsuit these guys had filed, accusing the billionaire of running what they called a sexual enterprise, basically using his private jet to transport women to this tiny town and have sex with them. Matt told us he'd even seen the billionaire flirting with one of his own daughter's friends. She was an underage girl. Oh, yeah. It's just bizarre to me. In the lawsuit, Matt alleges the billionaire slept with her. Years later that I find out that he's paying mom that he doesn't even know hundreds of thousands of dollars under the guise of a gift. And they said the worst thing about all this was that the billionaire was getting away with it because this little town in Montana couldn't stand up to his billions. In the lawsuit, they alleged he was buying off FBI agents and local police. A real police department will tell you, we're on to you, motherfucker, and at some point, you're going to fuck up and we're going to be there to wipe you out. And they have the resources to do that. When you're in a little teeny department in the middle of Montana, you don't have any of those resources. There's no vice squad here. So Matt decided to run his own investigation collecting hundreds of pages of texts and emails and photos and financial records, all of which Matt had access to because he'd actually worked for this billionaire. In fact, they'd been best friends. A tip like this one only comes around once every few years. A devious billionaire allegedly buying off a whole town to cover his tracks. It didn't turn out that way. It turned out even nuttier. This is not one of those stories where we look under every rock and ultimately find nothing, although it's going to feel that way for a while. We did uncover a spectacular, elaborate crime. From New York Magazine, this is Cover Story Season 2, Seed Money, starring a billionaire, a couple of ex-spies, and a stadium of women. Exotic dancers, real estate agents, single moms, retail clerks, nurses, cocktail waitresses— so many women. And us, the reporters. No, 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 no. You absolutely have to record yourself. That is me, Hannah Rosen. I'm holding the goddamn thing up to my mouth like a good audio person. Ken. And Ken. Ken Silverstein. The guy who brought the story to New York Magazine. The print guy. I'm holding the goddamn thing up to my mouth, too. This story was right up Ken's alley. He specializes in reporting on bad guys who are propped up by legitimate institutions. His phrase for this is the gray zone, where black market meets white collar. I was here to vet whether this story was worth doing a podcast about, and that first day in the cabin, I was kind of half in, half out. Like, who wouldn't want to uncover some awful trafficking stuff? Or short of that, 
Who wouldn't want to get a real inside look at what these average billionaires do get away with? But also, who would? Because it would mean spending a lot of time getting real intimate with one particular douchey billionaire, like peering into his underwear drawer. And also a lot of time with retired CIA guys who sometimes like to go on and on about their theories about what men do, hunt, and what women do, be prey. It's the exact same thing that a lion does to pick off a slow wildebeest. Mm -hmm. It's done all throughout nature. Humans aren't supposed to do that, but there are deviant humans that do it, and they target vulnerable females in the species. Oh, boy. So that's where I was all morning, kind of pulled in two directions. But then after a late afternoon snack and a coffee break, Matt took his laptop out of a briefcase. He sifted through a bunch of emails and landed on one which had a voicemail attached. Just go through these. Oh, those are the voicemails. Yeah, just... He told us that the voicemails were forwarded to him by the billionaire back when they used to work together. You just click on them and they'll play. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm very keen to hear those. Matt told us this much. These voicemails were from a stripper the billionaire met at a club in Las Vegas. Unclear what happened, but something snapped. She's talking fast and with an accent. And the recording sounds like a human breaking apart. I want my life back. Do you understand? She's saying, I want my life back. I want in my mind, my past, my present and future. The way before I met you, motherfucker. Do you understand? I want my mind, my past, my present and future. The way before I met you, motherfucker. I want to be left alone by you, motherfucker. Do you understand? This is not my identity. This is not my identity. This is not my sound of voice. Not the sound of my voice. In another message, she threatened suicide. I decided to commit suicide because my heart hurts. Do you understand that? This is not my... That was a gun. The woman seems to have fired a gunshot inside the room she's in. In emails to the billionaire, she threatens to kill him and his wife. And Matt had something else, too. The message the billionaire wrote to Matt when he forwarded hers. He described her as that hot, batshit, crazy chick. So here's the email, Hannah. Just here's a good one from two days ago. Full, impulsive scream plus threats to kill the fuck out of me. Quote, when a crazy starts to get this explicitly and directly threatening... Isn't there grounds to have her forcibly brought to a mental hospital or something? I think it was the contrast that got me. His nickname, The Crazy, plus the casual LOL vibe with a dose of lock her up versus her own genuine mental disintegration. This is the we- To me, I listen to this, I feel like frozen by it. I just feel like, is this like a moment or like what? I don't understand how to understand this. So the first couple times I've We listened to those voicemails two or three times. Ken was also rattled. That voice, that's what did it for me, her voice. That's when somebody's talking like that, screaming, shooting she's a no gun longer, in their house. She's no longer herself. This is evil shit, because you're fucking with people's mental health. Until then, I'd been distracted by the macho theater of it all. The badassery of walking into a cabin and talking to a couple of ex-spies about clocks on the bedside table. But hearing this woman's voice in the room brought me back. In my memory of this moment, and I think this really happened, the men paced and paced, and then each just all laid down on a different giant chair, with Ken on the couch. Now it sunk in, what these CIA guys were telling us. 
There was a lion hiding out where no one was looking, like practically down the road. And he could outplay anyone in town. Naturally, we started following the clues. The first place we went was down the mountain, to the town of Whitefish, because that's where the villain was masquerading as Mr. Pillar of the Community. Whitefish, Montana, population 8,000, a happy nature place with mountains and forests and lakes. 175 years ago, white settlers who believed in Manifest Destiny claimed that God gave them the right to steal this land from the people who already lived there. So it became a typical American frontier town. But more recently, it started to look like a frontier town on Instagram, a backdrop of beautiful mountains behind pricey boutiques selling very expensive ski gear. It was like Whitefish had entered the gilded phase of Manifest Destiny. You started to notice men who wore shoes that had tassels on them. (laughs) And women who were... um, What's the term? I'm going to say this. It's kind of a colloquialism, but fixed up more. Their hair was obviously professionally prepared. This is Whitefish local Jill Evans. Our producer and I met her at an obvious place downtown. I'm the executive director of the local historical society here in Whitefish. Because she'd studied the history, we asked her about the arrival of this new Tassels era and its impact on the town. Was there any story that you heard which, like, turned your stomach, where you were like, oh, my God, that's it? Well, there's a little story of I had my grandson, who was three, on a little beach by the river, there by the Baker Street Bridge. And these two guys came by in their $1,000 canoes, and I'm standing there with Gus, and they pull in and tell me to tell him to stop throwing rocks into the river. I'm like, excuse well, it's just not, you know, we helped pay to put those rocks on that beach. And you shouldn't be throwing them in the river. Tell him to stop. I just sadly held my tongue. I mean, that's it, it just kind of shocking. The, okay, we help pay for this, so you have to act this way. We were looking for clues. What was the billionaire class doing out here? And what did the town know about it? Ken was looking, too. So just real quickly, I'll type up my notes from this conversation I had with this guy last night. It seemed like everyone had a story about the billionaire, but no one wanted to say it out loud or with their names attached, including this guy at the bar. I actually met him for a drink. Vodka, Hannah. I'm still on my Cato diet. Anyway, it was really interesting. But... We can't tell you what it was, because as one person told Ken, he's got more money than God. Another said something like, I have an amazing life. He can hunt me down and ruin it. Ken was also mining the world of experts on billionaires and their exploits, and as instructed, recording his notes. Okay, so I just got off the phone with Brooke Harrington. Dartmouth professor, wrote a book about billionaires. She said, two words spring to mind. The first and foremost is impunity. That's what it means to be super rich. Joan Didion was writing about this 50 years ago. She said that the entire point of having money is not being answerable to anyone, to having privacy and being able to do whatever you want. She said there's aspirational impunity. Our producer Kathleen and I were pounding the mean streets of Whitefish. There were only like two. And one person sent us to a friend who sent us to another friend. 
And we ended up talking to a guy we're going to call Derek, who is at the moment helping his friend fix her house. You, know, you just want to know what we know, what I know. I mean, I can just tell you what I've seen, you know. I mean, I... Derek was crouched down in front of his tools, working on her front porch. I've lived off the land around here for a long time, hunting and fishing, having a garden. He told us he arrived in Whitefish in the 70s. It was where poor people came to live to get away from things. And that's why I came to Montana is to be self-sufficient. And then once it got discovered, you know, unbelievable. You sit down in Whitefish and watch all the Porsches and, and Audis and BMWs. That stuff was not here. I mean, we never dro- drove this kind of stuff around. We had old trucks and everything was falling apart. Derek is a jack-of-all-trades. He can DIY a broken post, drive a tourist boat, do construction. You know, I worked on a house up here on Lion Mountain. They have a bathtub in there that's cut out of a rock. I mean, $20,000 bathtub. My buddy right now is working down on Big Fork. They're putting $6,000 toilets in their house. I mean, people down there didn't even used to have plumbing. What? is a $6,000 toilet look like? Like, what does it do for your ass? It does all this stuff. It's a bidet. It it, uh, it washes and wipes you and dries you off all at the same time. <laughs> the woman who owned the porch, we'll call her Lori. She was dressed like a trendy pioneer woman in blue zip-up coveralls. She was standing with one foot inside and one foot outside the front door, not quite ready to talk, but still jumping in here and there with her observations about the rich people takeover. There's no going back now, really. We were still trying to figure out if people had seen anything illegal or even unseemly. Is there any story you've heard? And eventually she told us about something that happened to her a few summers ago when she was hired as a hostess at a fancy restaurant. There was a 16-year-old hostess and a man, he was probably mid-60s, came up and put a $100 bill down her bra. He didn't even hide it. He just walked right up to her and did that. She turned beet red. She looked right at me, and we looked at each other, and it was, like, appalling. And didn't say anything and just kind of watched him walk away, and then she took it out and put it on the hostess stand. I hate that kind of attitude, and there's so much of it here now. It's status. It's who you know. It's why people are moving here, but it's not why we live here. She was 16 years old, for crying out loud. And so what... What happened to you in that job afterwards? I quit. I was done. Because what? I'm not going to be around people like that. I don't need the money. Our producer, Kathleen, noticed that Lori was heating up. Do you feel pissed off right now? Pissed off. (laughs) I'm really trying hard. (laughs) Can you put put that into words? The motherfuckers get the fuck out of my town. That's how I feel. Yeah. (laughs) Right now. Get out of my state. Get out of my town. My kids can't live here. The picture we were getting was that when no one is looking too closely, the super-rich can reach for anything they wanted, even under our shirts. And then Derek had one more story that clinched it. It was also about clothing, from a time when he was working at a local store. I'd see this guy, I didn't know who he was at first, taking... And what appeared to me to be young, well, when I first seen what happened was I watched this young girl go into a dressing room, and I didn't even see, I didn't even know he was with her. The dude walks over and goes in there. And I walk over and i like, what are you doing? None of your effing business. Said, yeah, it's everybody's business when you're doing stuff like that. And he said, it's none of your business, mind your own business. So I backed off. He then goes and tells someone about it. And they go, don't you know who that is? 
It was the guy, the one we were here to investigate. And I said, no, and I don't care. By then, a lot of people in town did know the billionaire. He owned a huge compound in the hills, he had a private jet, and he was in the papers a lot. But he wasn't on Derek's radar. And they told me to mind my own business. I was told to mind my own business. Okay, wait a minute. (laughs) What? Because I didn't even know he was with that girl at first. When I first time I seen it, and then I watched it a bunch, they would come in there quite a bit. And he would, like, you know, different girls all the time, buy him stuff, and then they'd leave. That's weird. That's a weird story. I've been told not to talk to you, too, to mind my own business by a few people. So why do you talk to us? Because I'm I'm an idiot. (laughs) So I don't care about getting my ass kicked. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm just having my coffee. Early morning Uh, message from Ken. So just meet us at John's. You have the address. John's. Um, That's the cabin where we started. We'll be interviewing Matt. He has a ton of documents. I mean, we're going to get the best documents today. Everything that I think we're looking for. Inshallah. That's after the break. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. From New York Magazine, this is Cover Story. One thing we hadn't banked on. If two spies are filing a lawsuit, they need lawyers. And when we met up with Matt and John at the cabin for a follow-up visit, their two lawyers were there waiting for us. Two guys standing awkwardly by the door in city guy button-down shirts, slightly out of place under the giant buffalo heads. Yeah, I've I've told them very clearly what your guys' concerns are. Ken and I were introduced and then looked at each other quickly. Fifty collective years of reporting had taught us that having lawyers present during an interview of their client does not aid in the free flow of information. Then, 
In what to me was a swoony hero just save my day move, Matt dismissed the lawyers. Guys, this is too fucking unnerving. Too fucking unnerving. I'm not trying to throw you guys out. You guys are going to have to go, man. I feel like I'm like now I'm like on a fucking stage. Oh, it's true. It'll ruin the spontaneity. And with that, the lawyers walked out the door. You guys can go to my house. Watch out for the killer dog. And then the, I'll text you the Wi-Fi. To us, this signaled that Matt was ready to have the real, unfiltered conversation about the guy we came to learn about, even if the details would put him at risk. I appreciate that. I just want to stay on task. Yeah, that me too. Dis- me distractions. Too. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Matt looks like he's always undercover. Blank baseball hat, wraparound sunglasses, always charming as hell, but never relaxed. Now we had him all to ourselves, and what we needed to understand before we got to any documents was the TikTok of it all. How did Matt come to know this billionaire in the first place? And how did he figure out what was going on? I describe him, and will always describe him, as a, like, kind of scrawny, pasty white, um, the most blinding white teeth you've ever seen in your life. Like, it's distracting. The billionaire's name is another one syllable. Mike. Full name, Michael Gogan. Matt and Mike. They were introduced by, of all people, an actor they were both friendly with, Huntley Ritter, who played a cheerleader in the movie Bring It On. Well, so what, why do you want me to meet this guy? Well, Huntley had told Mike... That- Mike had a thing for Jason Bourne types, guys with war stories and spy-savvy who like to right wrongs. Matt had a background in all of that. Guns, badassery, and big ideas. I don't know. Maybe they could work on something together? So in 2013, Matt and Mike met up in Las Vegas for a bro-casual business meeting to see if they had, as they say, value alignment. We sit down, he's like, man, you look like you spend a lot of time in the gym. I said, I try to. I mean, it's important for my job. And he's like, God, your arms are so vascular. I've never seen anybody's arms that vascular. His arms are vascular. And so a bromance was born. Arms and minds. And they started to hatch an idea. Some kind of spy company, overseas do-gooder missions. Whatever it was going to be, Mike would fund it, and Matt would bring two decades of experience. They made a plan to talk more. But as we wrap up, he says, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I really wasn't doing anything. I said, well, probably just hang out in my room. He's like, well, let's have dinner tonight. Have you ever been to the Spearmint Rhino? Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that's probably not like a Mexican restaurant. (laughs) I'm assuming it's probably a strip club. It is. And later that night, they head over there. They walk us through. They sit us down. We ordered two drinks, and then... Where did they sit you down? Close to the stage? Right at the stage. P.S. Ken has reported on strip clubs. He knows that close to the stage equals VIP equals you come here a lot. As we understand it, Matt shared more of his war stories with Mike. That he'd run a covert mission in Syria during the early days of the Iraq war. That he was captured and tortured for a week but managed to escape, partly by overpowering the guards and hiding in a truck under a pile of chicken coops. Mike was genuinely moved. He wanted Matt to relax and have a good time. You know, support the troops. We sit down, and the whole time he's fooling with his right sock, which was odd. Like, it caught my attention, but you're in a dark club, and I'm thinking, maybe he's got, like, a skin condition, or... Well, so he finally, like... 
comes up with the like roll of cash. Oh my god. And I'm like, these weren't singles, were they? No, they were all hundreds. Yeah. It was five grand. So he, he's like, I have a proposition for you. So he says, I, I'm going to give you this five thousand dollars here. I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to spend it here in the club. I want you to have a great time. But whatever you don't spend at the end of the night, I want you to give back to me. Okay, I'm like, are, are you going somewhere? He's like, yeah, I have an appointment. Which he has an appointment in the back, one of the back rooms. So what the hell did you think was going on? It was clearly a test. Was I going to get all liquored up and become an asshole? Was I going to get liquored up and start like going around grabbing the strippers? Was I going to be getting lap dances? Mike never explicitly told Matt, you're being tested. But the way Matt describes it, it was almost like this Bible story called the parable of the talents. The master gives his servants each a large wad of cash or talents. He then goes away for a bit, and the servants have to figure out on their own what the master even wants. Then he comes back and asks, what did you do with those talents I gave you? One of them gets it wrong and gets sent to the outer darkness. The others get it right, and the master tells them, enter into the joy of your master. As daylight broke, Matt and Mike left Spearmint Rhino. The sun's coming up, and we get in the car. He's taking me back to my hotel. And I'm like, oh, hey, here, here's the money. He was, like, super shocked by that. He's like, I, haven't, I, I do this all the time, and I've never had anybody give me back money. Was that what the master wanted? He drops me off the hotel, and that was it. He said, I'll be in touch. Mike did get in touch. And they met up again in Whitefish. Mike said he would put up the money to seed this badass private spy company. And to sweeten the deal, he offered Matt $200,000 to come to Whitefish right away and run security for him. Matt was excited, and not just for professional reasons. I told him, like, I just want to be somewhere where I'm able to go home at night. Like my daughter at that point, I'd missed six years of her life. Mike says why don't you bring your family up for a visit? So he did. The next time Matt came, he brought his wife, Heather. You know, we had dinner, and he was just, you know, so interested in who I was and what I did. And, I mean, I'm a nurse, so he was pulling at my heartstrings. He knew what to say and and that he had spent 75000 I think it's something like that. It was a, a lot of money to help a, a friend of his daughter had a car accident. She had to be stat flown, and she wasn't going to make it, but he came to rescue and things like that. So I thought, wow. Matt, Heather, and their daughter arrived in the summer of 2013. And in so many ways, Whitefish was amazing. And Mike seemed like a really good guy. That's how he duped me, actually, because my daughter comes out. We have a birthday party for her. I mean, it was the craziest shit in hindsight because I'm thinking... That dude's probably never, like, held the string on a piñata in his life. So I'm in the garage, and I get an extension cord, and I throw it over, and he catches it, and he's tying it. And he's actually, like, pulling the piñata up and down when the kids are swinging at it. I thought, even my wife, Heather, was like, that's pretty damn awesome. Matt was supposed to spend most of his time on this new private spy company, refining the idea. 
Like, was it more a corporate security type company, private overseas missions? Would it depend on government contracts? But he was also doing this other security job, the point man on Mike's properties and businesses in Whitefish. What was the job? What was, what were, what, what was your job title? Like, what were you supposed to be doing? This sounds stupid. My job title literally was right-hand man. It initially was kind of awkward. Like, well, you know, what's he doing? For, well, he's my right-hand man. He's actually trying to help me get my life in order. The way Matt described it, Mike would be in Silicon Valley Monday to Friday working at the VC firm, while Matt would be back in Whitefish making his way through his point man to-do list. Can you put out this fire or that fire? And as Matt tells it, there were a ton of fires. Take Casey's, this downtown bar and restaurant in Whitefish that Mike had bought and renovated. Uh, your bar manager is stealing booze every day, like carrying cases of beer or liquor out the back door. I mean, it was just snorting cocaine off the bar. <laughs> like, it just, it was out of control. I asked him at one point, well, how many, Mike, how many cars do you think you have? I don't know, six or seven? Uh, you've got 72 cars. It was like Matt had wandered into this alternate reality of a billionaire, a world filled with fleets of forgotten cars, strippers and stacks of bills, and people who wandered into loot and steal. Man, in hindsight, I wish I'd have been like, hey, bro, I didn't come here for that. I'm not. But because, again, I liked him and I felt like people were taking advantage of him. Sure, man. It's hard for Matt to admit how much affection he had for Mike. Now that their bromance has gone cold, he's not big on bro vulnerable. But it's clear that the two of them were close for a while. Like, we have a copy of this email that Matt wrote to Mike after there was some tension between them. It's a couple of years into their work and friendship, and Matt gets really personal. Quote, I take calling you my best friend very seriously because I haven't and don't historically have a ton of friends. He tells Mike about the only other best friend he's had, and it's a hard story. Quote, he was killed by a sniper round overseas, 15 feet from me, and I had to make the decision to leave his body and recover it two days later. I carried him for a half mile under less than ideal conditions and had to leave him because I was slowing down the team too much and couldn't fend off the bad guys much longer. Matt tells Mike he has the guy's name tattooed on his ribcage. And then he waffles back to his tough guy side. Quote, not a boohoo story, but you want to know more about me? I want you to know the good and the bad. He then writes to Mike about how they both have demons and they've had shitty luck with friends And he promises, I won't betray your trust or friendship, no matter what. And if I do, please run me over dead with the biggest vehicle you can find. Um, And for us to drive by. So are we recording, Hannah? Yep. Okay. This is us again, Ken and me, in a pretty big vehicle. It belongs to John, Matt's spy friend the guy who moved out to the woods near Whitefish, but still sleeps with a Glock on his bedside table. This entire building he used to own. John took us on a driving tour through the version of Whitefish that he and Matt had detailed in their lawsuit against Mike. John pointed out properties they said were safe houses, where Mike shacked up with members of the female species he was supposedly airlifting in. The front half of this building is a condo. The second half, covered in the trees there, that's the second condo, and that's the one that's used constantly, and there's a one of the girls living okay, in there so now. We're, we're on state we also drove past Casey's, that downtown bar. From the outside, super cute. A two-story saloon, lots of wood, 
the lawsuit version, less cute. This was a place set up to draw women into where they could find women, serve them drugs, and get them downstairs. Matt told us even more details about Casey's, stuff they'd filed in court about a secret basement area for VIPs. What is the Boom Boom Room? So it's a door that's not marked with anything. It's got a camera. It's got a key code on it. And inside of there, it's like super pimped out. There's a stripper pole. There's a glass shower. Is there a I mean, room to have sex down there? Well, that's what the room is for. It's, the room itself. So you don't even have a private room no, down no, there. No, no, it's a. You it's go there to have sex. You. That's why just there were very limited people I had the access to. Uh, that's why it was in the basement. Matt was one of the guys who had the access code. So how did Matt go from Mike's right-hand guy to offering two New York Magazine reporters a tour of his dirty secrets? When you're reporting a story like this, you're always looking for the turning point. In this case, a single moment when Matt started to see his new best friend as the bad guy. But Matt told us it happened bit by bit. Hey, Matt, how about you get some snacks in the condo? There's a girl I'm flying in later. Or, hey, Matt, can you refill the Viagra prescription? And Matt says he knew it was weird. But at the same time, he just didn't want to let go of the fantasy he was living. Like, here's this billionaire handing you the keys to the castle. It's a compliment because a guy like that who doesn't generally trust anybody gives you free reign to do things that are directly affecting his people and his family. Like, it's a clue that I'm doing a pretty good job. Once we got here, he worked so much. I mean, it was kind of the same thing. He was there, but he would most of the time come home and sleep. I'm sure in my head I was justifying any reason to stay uh, here because it was great. I mean, you can be a victim of your own success. Then Matt told us, there came a day when it all became too much. Matt says Mike made a request that was so outlandish that Matt couldn't tell if Mike was being funny or if he should pack up his new whitefish house right away and leave. Mike was talking about a guy he'd had a falling out with who's getting to be way too much of a nuisance. It's all in the lawsuit. The guy was blackmailing Mike, saying he knew damaging stuff about Mike and that he was going to go public. And according to the lawsuit... Mike then told Matt, I want this guy killed. I take that with a grain of salt because guys oftentimes will say something like, I'm going to kill that fucking guy. Clearly, that's not their intent. It's just blown off. So I really dismissed it. But Matt says it came up again. So he essentially asked me about killing this guy and then goes in to tell me that I think he's going for this big mountain biking tour and that would be a good opportunity. Of course, the billionaire 100% denies all of this. But Matt says, at the time, he just couldn't tell if this was real or not. I'm like, Mike, first of all, you just don't travel around the world killing people. A common misconception about the CIA. Yeah, right. You have a background. You know, in his mind, uh, guys like us are just just assassins. Just run around, kill people. Anyway, this was a turning point for Matt. Because I have asked myself this. What would Gogan have said if I said... Fucking A, I'll kill him. When do you want it done? Do you want me to shoot him or stab him? You know, do you want me to choke him or drown him? Matt says he kept being the right-hand man, but that he also started taking notes, writing down dates, saving emails, screenshotting disappearing texts. 
gathering the material for what would eventually become his and John's lawsuit against Mike. Hey, I'll try to keep this short. Um, I just talked to John, and I'm going to talk to Matt later. He said, I'm in 100% on the record for the podcast, and Matt is too. 100%. We are not backing down now. Anyway, so it's all good, and I'll talk By the time we finished this first round of interviews, Ken and I had a lot of leads to track down. But also, we were feeling super paranoid, because what if this guy actually was putting out hits on people? Ken had run into Mike once at Casey's, and though he introduced himself and tried to act friendly, it felt more than ever like Mike Gogan Enterprises was on alert. So we switched to communicating on signal, got ourselves burner phones, split up and hit the road. Ken flew out to L.A. to start tracking down some of the women whose names we'd gotten from Matt and John. They might have stories to tell. Ken was knocking on doors, hoping for the best. At one place, there was a guy out front who said the woman did live there, but she wasn't home. So Ken left his phone number. Within half an hour, Ken got a call. Hello? Can you hear yeah. Michael? It was him. Yeah, this is, this is Michael. Michael Gogan. Yeah, so Ken, what was with the... Cloak and Dagger the other day. I, I just looked you up. You are the guy that bumped into me the other day. At the, at the there was my no life. Cloak and Dagger. I, told, I introduced myself. I told you who I was. I mean, I gave you my name. Yeah, let me take one guess, Ken. You, you've gotten turned on to some juicy story by a man who's right now under federal indictment on 11 federal felony counts where I'm the victim. Does that sound about right? Coming up on Cover Story... Mike, the first thing I want to talk about is you. Mike tells us his side. Sleeping with his daughter's friend? No. Never brought a woman of any age down to the Boom Boom Room. Going in the dressing room with a young girl? Fabricated. Definitely never asked Matt to kill that guy. We said that already. He never said Matt's arms were vascular. He never touched that pinata. He does not have 72 cars. Plus... 11 federal felony counts against Matt? That's a lot of federal felony counts. So we track down every detail Matt told us and figure out what really happened. Cover Story is a production of New York Magazine. This season, Seed Money is hosted by me, Hannah Rosen. The story originates with Ken Silverstein, who also reported it. Our senior producers are Marianne McCune and Whitney Jones. Also produced by Noor Bazidi, Kathleen Horan, and Liza Yeager. Sound design and engineering, as well as additional editorial help by Sharif Youssef. Cover Story's theme music is by Santa Gold. Series music is by Devin Clara Fonslow. Fact-checking by Bertina Chang and Ted Hart. Special thanks to Legal Minds Alyssa Cohen, Jillian Robbins, and Samantha Mason. Also thanks to Nicole Hill, Ryder Alsop, and Gabby Grossman. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.